Yeah, I, there's nothing like worshiping with your church. Isn't it just awesome just to worship God together? Isn't it just powerful? Amen. Come on, somebody. It's just really, really powerful. I want to tell you guys, we had an amazing Saturday night service last night. And don't forget, I'm going to reiterate it and we're going to keep saying it over and over again. We're not having Saturday night next week. If you come next Saturday night, you will be very disappointed. All right? Because we're not going to be having service. There might be someone here doing something. And you can come and help them or say hi, but, you know, so far as having service, not going to happen this Saturday. So make sure you remember that. And make sure you take advantage of the opportunity of next Saturday service, which will be the 15th of December. Let me tell you, this Saturday night service, uh, so far as our attendance here in this room, we, were actually, we actually had more people this Saturday night uh, than we did the first time we did it. So praise God for that. More people are, you know, coming and being a part of that. Yeah, come on. One claps, everybody claps. Don't leave them hanging. Don't leave them hanging. And uh, it's, it's going to be great the 15th. It's going to give you an opportunity to invite someone to come to church that maybe they don't go to church and they have to work on Sunday mornings and maybe they don't have to work on Saturday evenings or maybe you have a friend that goes to another church that they just want to come and hear more word and fellowship with more believers and they're more than welcome to come if they go to another church on Sunday morning because it's all about kingdom stuff, right? It's not about our kingdom, it's about his kingdom and so we're very kingdom-minded here at Word of Grace and we want to invite anyone who wishes to come and so take advantage of that opportunity. Also, I want to make mention of one more thing before I get into my message this morning and that is next Sunday, remember no Saturday night next week, just Sunday, right? <clears throat> Excuse me. That uh, something very special is going to be happening. Uh, we're going to wrap up our simple series and we're going to do so in a very special way. I have invited uh, Chief Dave Funkhauser of the Kiel Police Department and Chief Steve Riffle of the Sheboygan Falls Police Department to be here with me to speak this next Sunday. They'll be here with us for both services, and we're going to be doing a roundtable type thing where we'll all be uh, up here, you know, sitting at this table and be talking about different things, and, and we're going to wrap this series up, and you'll be able to hear from both of these police chiefs kind of what's going on in our area and what we as a church can do uh, and as believers can do to be a part of the solution. And so make sure that you do not miss that. Chief Funkhauser and Chief Riffle will both be here. If you didn't know, Chief Dave Funkhauser is a member here at Word of Grace, and he's probably out there somewhere this morning. If uh, He's not uh, working security this morning, and we appreciate him for doing that as well. So anyways, make sure you mark your calendar for that and make sure that you're here, and it's going to be a great time. Before we get into this message this morning, would you bow your heads with me and let's just pray together? God, I thank you for this day. It's just such a great day, Father. Thank you, Lord, that you're just blessing us, that you're just moving in our midst. You're moving on hearts. You're moving, God, in our lives, in our relationships, Father, with you and with one another. Thank you, God, that you're helping us to understand what really is important and helping us to focus on that. God, I pray that today as I speak your truth that you would just anoint me to speak it with authority and clarity and with power and that you would, God, just help those that are hearing today, God, to receive it and to be able to do something with it. I pray, Father, I only speak the words that you would desire for me to speak and let them be heard by your people as they sing through their filter. Let them be found applicable in every one of their lives in a very unique and personal way. And I thank you for changed lives and I thank you for the fruit that's going to come of your truth being spoken, God, and being taken in and done something with this day. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're taking notes this morning, I want you to write in this title, Authentic. We're going to talk about being real this morning. We're going to talk about being authentic because how many of you know we all like to hang out with folks that are real because we can trust people that are real, right? I can trust folks that are real. I don't have to worry about if they're going to, you know, say something to my face and then, you know, stab me in the back or, or they're going to do something to me that, you know, maybe I thought they were on my side and then all of a sudden come to, come to be that they weren't. And, and next thing you know, they were just in the relationship or wanted to get to know me for what they could get from me or what I could do for them. And it's just all these things. We, we, we like to hang out with people that are real. We like to hang out with people that are genuine because we trust them. And let me tell you, folks, the world is looking for people that are real. When they say they're about something, that it's not just words only, but they really show what they say they're about, they're about, right? I mean, because there's lots of people that do lots of nice things, and there's a lot of motives behind those right things. Just because you're doing a right thing doesn't make it right. Because God's not just looking at the thing. What is he looking at that's more important than the thing you're doing? He's looking at the motive behind what you're doing. 
That's why we've got to always keep those questions before us that we've been answering through this series of why do we do what we do and who do we need and who are we doing it for? Why do we do what we do and who are we doing it for? You know, people need the truth. Wouldn't you agree? I mean, isn't it easy to just give someone a solution and just say, here's your answer to your problem. Here's the truth that's going to fix you. And we would just hope that that would be good enough to solve whatever the issue may be or the problem may be. Here's your problem. Here's the answer. Here's the truth. It doesn't matter how true that the truth you may want to present to someone is. It still has to be presented in love and we have to show that we authentically care before we will earn the right to really speak that truth in someone's life. Because we're carriers and we're representatives of God's truth. However, the only way that we can effectively get the truth across to those we're called to reach is by our consistency and our authenticity. It's through our consistency and authenticity that hearts are prepared to receive the truth. It's that we show them that we're for real, that we mean what we say, that when we say we're going to do something, we do it, that we say, when we say we're about something, that we're about that, and that we don't just blow a bunch of smoke and just tell people a lot of nice things to try to win them over, but we actually show them that we are truly loving God, loving people, and serving the world. And that it's not just an awesome thing to put on the red wall outside in the lobby. If you don't know what I'm talking about, go look at the red wall with the ginormous letters that are outside on the red wall. It's so funny. I have been trying to point that out to people, that we have love God, uh, love people, and serve the world out there on our wall. And, and I'll ask, hey, have you seen that out there? And people say, well, what are you talking about? And they'll go, oh, yeah, right there. <laughs> so make sure you check that out after service. Just, it just reiterates what we are about as a church. And this is the first thing I want you to write down this morning. This is your first point. As a church is not somewhere we go but it is truly who we are. We have to get this mindset that church is not somewhere that I punch in and punch out and I'm good while I'm at church and I'm this type of person at church and I just punch in and then I punch out and I'm done. I'm done, God. I did my God thing for the week. I did my Jesus thing for the week, but the rest of the week I'm going to do my thing. But let me tell you, it's understanding that we are the body of Christ in every situation. You are the body of Christ when you're on the phone with customer service. You are the body of Christ when you're standing in that ridiculously long line at Walmart. And then it comes your turn to check out. And the person that's running the register puts out the sign, lane closed, and goes, and turns off their little light. And your whole world just begins to crumble. You're just as much the body of Christ in that situation as you are right now. You're just as much the body of Christ when you're facing temptation. You're just as much the body of Christ as when you have that opportunity to choose what would be best in a situation or to choose what you would really desire to do even though you know it wouldn't be the best. You are the body of Christ in every situation. And we have to recognize that church is not somewhere we go. It is who we are. I want you to go ahead and open your Bibles this morning to the book of Ephesians in the fourth chapter. Ephesians chapter 4. And while you're turning there, I want to give you just a little bit of history uh, here on this book of Ephesians. This book was written to a church that was in Ephesus. It was a city where Paul had planted this church. And now Paul is writing this letter to these people at Ephesus. But there's a problem. Paul is under house arrest during this time. So he can't physically go and see them. He can only communicate to them by correspondence and writing them letters. And so he would write letters to different churches and to others while he was under house arrest and in prison and different things like that. And this is one of those letters. So Paul's writing this while under house arrest. And he's encouraging the church at Ephesus to grow in unity to grow in maturity, and to understand that they are the church, that they are the body of Christ. He's trying to communicate to them the same message that I'm speaking to you this morning. Because here's the deal. This church in Ephesus was surrounded 
by people who worship the goddess Diana. And the goddess Diana was a very perverted, very sexual goddess that people would worship. They'd go into the temple and they would sleep with temple prostitutes in worship of the goddess Diana. So there's all types of perversion going on there in Ephesus. And so Paul is very concerned because he knows this church is right in the center of all of this perversion. And so he wants to encourage them, listen, you guys got to stick together. You guys got to be strong. You guys have got to uh, be mature and grow because there is an enemy against you and there is something in this land that is out to destroy this work of God, that is out to destroy this work of Christ. And so they've got all this against them. And Paul's saying, listen, I'm wanting to encourage you and, and for you guys to keep uh, together and to stick together. And this is what Paul says with that in mind. Let's read Ephesians 4 and verse 1. He says, I, I therefore, the prisoner of the Lord, beseech you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Now notice right there that Paul says, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. Even though he's imprisoned by someone else, he says, listen, even though they've got me locked up under house arrest, I'm not really a prisoner of them. I'm a prisoner of God. He wants to make that known very, very, very up front. He said, listen, I'm a prisoner of the Lord. I'm beseeching you. I'm pleading with you to walk worthy of the calling with which you were called. Verse 2 says, With all lowliness and gentleness, with long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called, and one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. Now understand, Ephesus was not only just the home to this goddess Diana worship where this pagan worship was just running rampant, but it was also home to a lot of Jews. And a lot of these Jewish people that, had, uh, that, that were in Ephesus, they worshiped the Lord, they worshiped God, and there was uh, the group of Jews that was still persecuting Christians, that still hated Christians, that was against them, that wanted to see, you know, because they believed that, that, that there was no one else that could be connected to God other than them because they are of the seed of Abraham. Abraham's their great, 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 great granddaddy. And because of all of that, because they can trace their heritage back to Abraham, because Abraham was the man that was called the friend of God, Abraham made covenant with God. And because of that, those Jewish people, that nation that was promised to Abraham, where he said, I'll make you the father of many nations, that nation, those Jewish people, they believed that because of that, that it set them apart and that anyone else was not welcome to be a part of God's family. And that was true until the time of Jesus. Because Jesus, he made a way for everybody to come into the family of God. But the Jews had a problem with this. They had a problem with this because they thought that they were the only ones that should be able to have that connection because of Abraham. And so when Paul starts preaching and others start preaching about now people who are outside of the Jewish family can be a part of God's chosen people, that didn't set very well with them. And they didn't like that at all. Even those Jews who accepted Christ, even the Jews who had become Christians, they thought that salvation was just for them. They thought that it was only for them and that nobody else could have it. But now salvation is being offered to the Gentiles, these guys who have paganistic roots, these guys who have been worshiping the sexual perverted goddess Diana. These guys now have an opportunity to be a part of something that is pure by blood, by my lineage, by something that I can trace back to and say, no, I was a part of this lineage of Abraham. Now you're telling me these guys are a part? Yes, that's exactly what was going on. That's why the Bible says in Galatians 3.29 that if we're in Christ, that we're now Abraham's seed and we're heirs according to the promise. You see, now because of Jesus Christ, we are a part of something we were not naturally a part of. It's not a natural thing anymore. It's not a fleshly thing anymore. Matter of fact, that connection is now by spirit. It is by God putting his life in us, his spirit inside of us, by what Jesus Christ did through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. And the Jews had a big problem with this. They had a big problem with this. And so here's what was going on. Paul was telling them, listen, I understand that you're heirs with Christ and you need to get a hold of that, but even though you are now heirs with Christ and now you're a part of that family of God, you don't need to walk haughty like these Jews. You don't need to walk with this air of I'm better than you because I'm a Jew. 
because they, they thought that everyone else was just doomed and nobody else had any hope at all and they carried themselves in a way that they thought that they were superior. And he said, listen, just because you're now a part of the family of God, you don't walk in a way where you treat others like they're any less. Because you remember that he said, you need to walk with all lowliness and gentleness and long-suffering, bearing with one another in love, endeavoring to keep unity in the spirit in the bond of peace. That's why Paul went on to say there's one body, there's one spirit, it's just not Jew, it's not just Gentile. Listen, it is one God that, that has sent his son to die for everyone here. He said, and now we're all one. He said, it's not Jew and Gentile anymore. It's now we're all in the family of God if we trust in Jesus Christ. So don't walk haughty. Don't walk like you're, you're better. Don't try to act like you know it all. Because folks, let me tell you, a lot of times when we become Christians or we get to a, a certain place in our walk with God where we feel like we've accomplished something significant, then all of a sudden we begin to feel like we're a little bit better than someone else. We began to look at others in a very demeaning way where we may hear someone get up and share their testimony sometime and you may be going, thank God I ain't ever done nothing like that. Or you pray with somebody or they share something with you and you go, woo, I'm really saved because I've never done anything like that, but I'll pray for you. <laughs> you see, that's what Paul was telling these guys at the church at Ephesus. He's saying, listen, guys, you need, you need to understand. Don't walk haughty. Don't walk proud. He said, but walk with all lowliness and gentleness, bearing one another in love. Because it's all about us strengthening in unity. It's all about us being real, about us being consistently authentic. And we have to understand how important it is for us to be real and for us to show people the true love of God. Now, with all of that in mind, let's read on in Ephesians 4 and verse 7. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and he gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended, what does it mean? But that he also first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. And he himself gave some to be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, that we should no longer be children tossed to and fro and carried about with every wind of doctrine by the trickery of men and the cunning craftiness of deceitful plotting, but speaking the truth in love may grow up in all things into him who is the head Christ, from whom the whole body joined and knit together by what every joint supplies, according to the effective working by which every part does its share, it causes growth of the body for the edifying of itself in love. Now here we see Paul talk about these ministry gifts here. And God uses the gifts of the ministry to build up the body of Christ. He says, as a matter of fact, they are given to equip the saints for the work of ministry. Now that word equip is a Greek word and it means to restore, it means to mend, it means to make complete. It's the same word used in Galatians 6.1 that talks about restoring the fallen brother. The one that talks about making him complete when he's fallen from God. Or when he's fallen away, it talks about making him complete and restoring that fallen brother. It also is the same word used in the Greek for surgery that means to put a bone back in its proper place. It's setting things right. It's setting things the way it should be. That's what the ministry is to, uh, that's what those, those gifts are to do, is to equip or to put those things in place so we can be used for the work of the ministry, so we can be equipped or set in the proper uh, arena, in the proper place, so we can do what it is that God has created us to do. So here's the deal. We're the body of Christ. We're the church in the earth. We're called to work together, not to walk proud, but yet we're called to work together and to consistently and authentically love people right where they're at. Amen, somebody. Called to love people right where they're at. I don't care how hurting they may be. I don't care how angry they may be, how far away from God they may feel that they are. Let me tell you, folks, it is so important that we consistently and authentically show people the love of God because we are called to love God, love people, and serve the world. The only way to really authentically and truly love someone is to love them with the authentic love of God. You know, you can't love someone, you can't really say you love someone unless you love them authentically. 
You, you can't say you truly do. Because it's not just about what we do. It's not just about the fact that we do good things for other people or we treat someone nice. It's the heart behind it. It's the authenticity behind it. When you, when you look through all the smoke, when the haze clears and you see what somebody's really all about, and because is it, really, is it really and truly an authentic love or is it just doing something because I hope to get something in return? You see, we should be growing in authentic love for God. Not just the idea of trying to be good enough for God to like me. Because if I don't understand God's love, how can I authentically show God's love to others? How can I do it? I mean, if, if, if I don't understand that. But here's the thing about authenticity is that sometimes we avoid it. We avoid being real. We avoid being authentic because we're afraid of rejection. A lot of times we're afraid that someone's not going to like us or that someone's going to reject us if we're real. Because what you do when you love someone authentically is that you set yourself up a lot of times to get hurt. Anybody ever been hurt when you've been over backwards for somebody before? Anybody say, yeah, pastor, I know what you're talking about. Whenever you truly showed someone love, when you truly showed someone mercy, and then all of a sudden they hurt you or they abused that or they did something or maybe they said something that caused you a lot of pain and you're like I did all of this and what the natural tendency is is that you when you get hurt is that to protect yourself from getting hurt you don't ever do those things again and so we began to step away from loving people because we're afraid of what's going to happen to us because I remember the last time that I authentically loved somebody pastor yeah I got really messed up I got the short end of the stick I got really messed over when I truly gave out of a heart of love and really invested in someone else. Let me tell you, folks, that God hasn't given up on you. He never has and he never will. Amen, somebody? You see, God hasn't given up. And that heart, that love that God has for people, that's the same heart and that same love that he desires for us to have. But a lot of times we avoid that because we're afraid of rejection. We're afraid that someone may not like us. And so what we do is we serve our selfish nature. And we serve our selfish nature out of fear. We do it because we're afraid. We're afraid so we become very inward and we become very selfish and we serve self because we're afraid. And so it's easier if I just make myself happy. It's easier if I protect myself because I remember the last time or, or, or I've tried that before. And so we protect ourselves out of fear. But here's the thing. In 1 John chapter 4 and verse 18, the Bible says this. It says that perfect love casts out fear. Perfect love casts out fear. So if I really love people authentically, if I really love them with the love of God, that perfect love that he loved me with, and if I love God first and I truly understand his love and I begin to grow in my understanding of his love for me and his grace and his mercy for me, then out of my understanding, I can then love others in that same authenticity, in that same perfect love. And I will go beyond. I will put myself out there. Even if it means that someone may try to take advantage, that someone may say or do something uh, to me or say that they don't like or say that they don't like or they may want to spread rumors about me or whatever the case may be. I do it because I understand the perfect love of God and I'm not concerned for self. I'm more concerned for others than I am for myself. And so I don't serve self anymore. I serve others because of my love for God and my love for people. So here's the deal. Let me ask you these questions. Can we love someone when it's uncomfortable? I mean, when it's not easy? Can we genuinely show someone that we may disapprove of their lifestyle or the choices that they made? Can we really show that person the authentic love of God? I mean, we can all put on a happy face and be like, hey, God loves you. And he'll forgive you. But can we really care for that person right where they're at? I mean, genuinely. Anybody can say it. I mean, that's the easy part. That's the easy part to say it. it it's even maybe a little easier to do something a little nice. Oh, I love, I love that person. Jesus. But can we genuinely and authentically love that person? Jesus did. God has. He loved that person so much that he sent his only begotten son. He loved you and me. You remember how messed up we were before Christ? 
let me, under, let, let me help you understand something. That God is calling us to love people even when it's uncomfortable. Can we love somebody when they re- reject us? Maybe we did put ourselves out there and we really wanted to be there for someone or show them that we cared and we were rejected. Do we give up and throw our hands up in the air and go, oh, well, I tried. <laughs> or do we keep loving them because we know that people are worth it? Because God loves people. See, the more we grow in our love for God, the more that our genuine love and compassion for others grows. And then here's what happens. That fear of others' opinions, it begins to shrink. That fear of what other people may think begins to shrink when our love for God grows. Because perfect love casts out fear. It casts out that fear. That fear that would want to serve self, it casts it out. Because I understand how much God loved me and how gracious he was to me and how much he forgave me. And I understand his love the more I get to know him. That's why we love God. And that's why as I understand that, I'm able to authentically and consistently love other people. And that fear begins to shrink. That's what Paul meant in 2 Corinthians 12 and 15, where he said, I will gladly spend and be spent for your souls. He said, matter of fact, I will gladly spend and be spent for your souls, even though the more I love you, the less you love me. You see, even the world understands this love exchange where it's all about what I can get out of the deal, right? Oh, I'll do this for you if you do this for me, right? I mean, that's easy. Anybody understands that exchange. And then here's what happens. If our love isn't founded in Christ and if it isn't authentic and if it isn't genuine, then when the other person stops doing for us what they were doing that caused us to love them and give to them because of what we received, then all of a sudden we stop loving And we begin to push that person away or we begin to project hurt or frustration with that person simply because we're not getting out of the deal what we got in the deal for in the first place. Folks, this is not about what we can get out of the deal. It's about what he gave and how out of that love and mercy how we are to give to others because we're so overwhelmed by his love and mercy and forgiveness. Amen, somebody? You see that we understand that people are worth it, that we understand that it's worth it to be authentic and consistent and genuine in our love and our concern for others because we show that we mean what we say by what we do. We show that we mean what we say by what we do. But here's the thing. We've heard it all our lives that our actions speak louder than what? Our words. But here's the deal. That's true, but our intentions behind our action, that's what really matters. Actions speak louder than words, it's true, but, but it's not just about the action, it's about the intent behind the action. It's why do you do what you do? It's why did I do for that person, or why did I give? Because if it was all about just doing good things, heck, that'd be easy. We could all just be good people and do nice things, but you know what? God isn't checking the nice things. He doesn't go, oh, wow, I saw what you wrote that check for. Wow. That's all I can say. I'm God. And I just say, wow. He doesn't get impressed. Do you understand? You know, God doesn't get impressed when we do things that we think would be significant in the eyes of others. Because God's not looking at what we do as much as he's looking at the motivation and the intent of our heart. Why we do what we do. See, God's more interested in our heart than he is in how good we look in front of other people. Or how well put together we may be. God's more interested in what's behind the scenes, what's behind the curtain. And we're kind of like the Wizard of Oz. Don't pay any attention to the man behind the curtain. Don't pay any attention to who I really am. Don't pay any attention to that. I'm just going to keep doing nice things. And it's just all smoke and mirrors. Because the heart of who we are, we've lost sight of why we do what we do and who we do it for. Folks, let me tell you, if we're ever going to authentically love people, we've got to understand the love of God and we've got to learn to authentically and genuinely love other people. I can't trick God into buying my facade that I'm real. I can't trick God into believing that my intentions are pure because the Word of God says He searches our hearts and He knows who we really are. I remember when I was a kid, I used to go to my grandma's house a lot, and uh, I'm thinking, you know, I'm maybe seven or eight years old at the time, and my grandma had been to the ocean. I'd never been to the ocean at seven, eight years old, and so I just thought that was the coolest thing. And on her trip to the ocean, 
her and my grandpa had found a bunch of seashells, and they found a bunch of little ones, and they, you know, would give some out to us grandkids and things like that. We took some of the little shells they collected, but there was this one shell that my grandma found, and it was huge. It was the biggest shell I'd ever seen. You know, I, here I am, seven, eight years old. This thing's probably this big, right? And I just thought it was the most biggest shell I've ever seen. It was beautiful. It was just awesome. And my grandpa had me convinced that if I held the shell up to my ear that I could hear it storm. I could hear the ocean. <sighs> wow. I thought that was just the coolest thing. And every time I went over there, I went to, directly to that shell because I thought that that shell was the coolest thing. And here's what I used to do, seven, eight years old. I say, hey, Grandma, that sure is a cool shell you have over there. Boy, I wish I had a shell like that. I've never been to the ocean, though. But wow, what a shell. I mean, look, look at this shell. I mean, have you seen this shell? It, it's just awesome. And I would talk about it. I'd play with it, and I would make sure she was paying attention that I was playing with it and looking at it. And then I would ask her, can I, can I have the shell? No, you can't have the shell. I got the shell. I picked it up off the beach. It's special to me. Okay. Next time I go over Grandma's house, look at that shell. Man, that's a cool shell. I wish I had a shell like that. I would be pretty much the coolest kid in school if I had that shell. I did this for years. I was wearing my grandmother down is what I was doing. And finally, somewhere about 18 or 19, my grandma finally gave me the shell. No, I'm kidding. That was a joke. She, she ended up giving me the shell about, uh, you know, three or four years later. And uh, after constantly making mention of that shell, every time I go over her house, I wore her down. She finally gave it to me. And you know what, folks? She knew what I was after the whole time. She knew I wasn't complimenting her shell. She knew I wasn't really interested in talking about the shell. And I wasn't really, she knew my motive. She knew that my intent was I wanted to get it. Have you ever had a little kid say that to you before, something like that? Say, oh, that sure is a cool thing. I wish I had one of those. My mommy and daddy don't make enough money, though, for stuff like that. <laughs> you know, I, 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 think that, uh, I, I think that when uh, I moved here a year ago, uh, a year almost, is that not crazy? Uh, that, uh, anyways, uh, <clears throat> um, when I moved here, that uh, all the guys that were helping me unload, I think that uh, Troy Genke was looking at my TV. He was like, man, that sure is a nice TV. Wow, pastor, you know it's more blessed to give than to receive. <laughs> God knows our heart. He knows what's going on. We can't trick him. Why do we get this in our heads that we can trick God? Why do we get this in our heads that we think, oh man, God, I'm going to get you to buy into the fact that I've got it all together. And God's going, you're so messed up. You ain't fooling me. And God knows what's going on. It's not just what we do. It's the intent of why we do what we do. That's why being consistently authentic is so important because God looks at our heart. But the only way we can do that is by understanding his love for us. See, when I begin to understand God's love for me and I begin to identify with that love, when I begin to identify with grace and forgiveness, then I'll be able to genuinely and consistently love others. We have to understand that when we come to Christ, that all of our past and who we were, that was all done away with. The Bible says that when we come in Christ, when, when he comes into our lives, that our old life has passed away and that all things are become new. Everything, he made us completely new. But the problem is, is that oftentimes we don't understand the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness and the love of God because we get so caught up in trying to earn it. We get caught up in trying to be good enough to earn his love. Just like, you know, Christmas is coming up, and, uh, and, and we all love, you know, giving and receiving presents. And Now, what if you did this on Christmas morning? Your kids wake up, boy, their eyes, they're just like, you know, dancing around. They're so excited, and they run in the Christmas tree. Mommy, mommy, daddy, daddy, which one can I open first? And you always want to save that big one for last where you've got it in the closet, yet you're going to bring it out at the end like, oh, 
you know, and you got all of this stuff and you want to open and, and, and you say, yeah, yeah, you can open that one first, baby, open that one up. And they open it up and you say, now, if you are going to actually open that box, that's going to be about three weeks of dishes. What? And then... You say, I've got something back here in the closet, but if you want to open this, if, if you want to ride this new bike that I got for you, um, that's going to be about, uh, you know, a, a, a winter's worth of uh, shoveling the snow, and that's going to be a yard mowing in the, in the uh, summer. What do you think about that? Do you want it now? Oh, we laugh at that. I'm giving some of you guys some awesome ideas, too. <laughs> but, you know, that's how we look at God sometimes. We look at, I'll give you this grace and mercy and forgiveness if, but. You see, you have to understand something. The Bible says that this grace that he's given us is a gift. It's a gift that we could never have earned. The Bible talks about the thing that we did earn. The Bible says that the one thing that you and I earned because of the way we've lived our lives and because of sin that's rampant in the earth, the Bible says the wages of sin is death. He said, that's your wage. If you want a wage, if you want to earn something, the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life. The gift of God is eternal life. And you see, I have to identify with that instead of trying to make God love me more. Because folks, he's not going to love you any more than he loves you right now. I don't care if you've been saved 50 years or 5 minutes. He's not going to love you any more than he loves you right now. He's not going to forgive you any more than he's already forgiven you when Jesus died on the cross. He's made you new. He wants you to grow and mature, and he wants you to understand his love because he wants you to show that love and that grace and that truth and mercy to others because he wants to see others as well to come to, into his family and to be welcomed into the family of God and receive that grace and mercy. But folks, we can't earn it. The Bible says that our righteousness, our righteous deeds, he said, they're filthy rags. We can't exchange those things for some kind of favor with God. Oh, God likes me more because I go to church more than you know who. That's not how it works. God loves us. His love for us is just amazing. And so out of that love and understanding of that, that's um, how you and I are able to genuinely and authentically love others. Uh, this past Wednesday night, I spoke at 180. Uh, Pastor Keith and Cassie were uh, uh, visiting family members down south. And so he asked me to speak, and I, uh, I decided to ask our, our new worship pastor, Pastor Stephen, to speak with me that night. And we were going to talk about um, the law versus grace and talk about how do I really know I'm a Christian? You know, is it because of, you know, I've done this and this and this, or how do I understand that I'm really saved? And so we just talked about that. Both of us at the same time shared that with the kids um, that night, and it was a, it was a great time. But he, he said something, Pastor Stephen said something that I told him I was going to steal. And I told him I'd give him props first. So that way, you know, it wouldn't be like, well, look at what Pastor Derek, you know, came up. I thought it was really good. <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, no, I really did tell him that, though. Um, but, uh, but one of the things he said that was just so great is he said, you know, he said, when we, when we come to Christ, we get a new ID card. Just imagine that you've been handed a new ID card. Who you were, that old ID card you had in your wallet, that old driver's license has been done away with. You've now been given a new identification. And he's showing us who we are, and he's showing us what he's done, and he's showing us how much he loves us. And he's given us this new identification. Now, here's the problem, is that a lot of us want to hold on to the old ID card, and we're confused. We think we have to earn or be good enough to have this ID card when he gave it to us because of his love, grace, and forgiveness. But we're, we're still looking at ourselves of, with who we were, and so we're confused, and we have an identity crisis. And we don't understand who we are in Christ. We don't understand God's love. But the more we get to know him, the more that we understand his love, the more we begin to identify with that new card that he gave us. And out of that identification of understanding the love of God, we're able to love people in a genuine an authentic way. I thought that was a really good example. Galatians 2 and 20 says that we were crucified with Christ. And it's not I any longer that lives, but now it's Christ who lives in me. I was crucified with Christ. The Bible says that if I died with Christ, and I was buried with Christ, then I was risen with Christ. So it says who I was died on that cross with Jesus. And who I was was buried. And then that new life 
is now on the inside of me. I identify with that. A lot of us like to identify with forgiveness because we all want to be forgiven, right? We all like to identify with that. But we have a hard time identifying with him in life. We can identify with him in death. But let me tell you, folks, our walk with God, our lives with Christ, it does not stop right there. It doesn't stop at forgiveness. It continues on as we grow in love and grace and mercy and understanding of his great love for us. And then through that identification, once we begin to see ourselves like God sees us, like Christ sees us and what he did for us, then we can begin to authentically love one another. Because I'm supposed to identify with Christ in his death of who I was, and then I should identify with him in my new life. That means that I should identify with his actions, with his compassion, and with his motives, right? I should identify with him not only in deed, not only in word, but in motive. Why did Jesus do what he did? That needs to be the heartbeat in our chest because we grow in authenticity when we grow in our love for God. That's when we grow in our authenticity, when we seek God for who he is, not just what he can do for us. You see, we begin to realize truly what he has done for us and how great his love is. I want to share something with you in the book of John, chapter 13. As we're wrapping things up this morning, I want to share this, this last passage of Scripture with you. And I want you to get this down in your heart. And you've most likely heard this before, but I want to show you something in it to help clarify the motive of Christ. In John, chapter 13, and verse 1, it says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come, that he should depart from this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And supper being ended, the devil having already put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus knowing that the Father had given all things into his hand, and that he had come from God and was going to God, he rose from supper and laid aside his garments, took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel with which he was girded. Then he came to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, are you washing my feet? Jesus answered, and he said to them, What I am doing now to you, you don't understand, but you will know after this. I want you to remember that. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him and said, If I don't wash your feet, then you have no part with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only then, but my hands and my head. He wanted him to wash all of him. Don't just wash my feet. And then Jesus said this to him. He said, he who is bathed needs to only wash his feet, but is completely clean. And you're clean, not all of you. For he knew the one that would betray him when he said, you're all not clean. So when he had washed their feet, taken his garments, he sat down again. He said to them, do you know what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, because I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done unto you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he who is sent greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Now, Jesus just got through washing the disciples' feet, done something that was only done by the lowest servant in the house, because how many of you guys know that feet are gross, right? I mean, come on. You're walking around in sandals and you're walking through the streets of Jerusalem and there's a camel in front of you and you just keep on walking. And then you're gonna go in somebody's house and when you walk up in Mary's house, she's like, oh, no, you ain't. (laughs) Somebody's gonna wash them feet before you come in my house. And so the lowest servant in the house would have that job of washing all that junk off of their feet. Now, I want you to understand something here, that Jesus took the position of that lowest servant, and he was showing his disciples what his entire life was about. He wasn't simply teaching them a lesson in servanthood, because he's about to go on the cross. Why would Jesus take some of his final moments with his disciples just to teach them an object lesson of humility or, 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 or servanthood? There was more to it than that. There was more to what Christ was showing them than what it would appear to be. You see, Jesus was showing them something much more powerful than that. Jesus was saying to them, I came to this earth 
to take the position of a foot washer. I came to this earth to humble myself in front of the eyes of others to show you how much I love you. I came to this earth to take the position of being humiliated because what I'm going to do is I'm going to take this position to wipe away your past, to wipe away your sin, to cleanse you. He was showing them what he was about to do on the cross. That's why he told his disciples, you don't understand what I'm doing right now, but after these things, you're going to get it. After these things all happen, you're going to understand why I washed your feet. And that's when Peter said, he said, oh Lord, you're not washing my feet. And Jesus said, Peter, if you don't let me do this, you can't have any part of me. You can't be a part of what I, you can't be a part of me if you don't let me do this because this is what I'm about to do on the cross. I'm about to be beaten. I'm about to be hung on a cross and humiliated for all the world to see. They're going to humiliate me to the point that they're going to put a crown of thorns on my head and mock me. They're going to put a sign and nail it to the cross and call me the king of the Jews just to mock and humiliate me. But I'm doing it out of my love for you. But before that happens, I'm going to show you why I came to this earth. To humble, to humiliate myself and take this position for your benefit because of my love for you. Because I'm about to hang on the cross and do the exact same thing. It's just going to look differently. But I'm doing it because of my love for you. It's me giving. It's me serving. It's me taking that position of humility that's authentic, that's genuine. Because I'm wanting to cleanse you. Because I'm wanting to love you. Because I'm wanting to show you my true motive. This is what it's really about. And then Peter wanting to be all self-righteous. Oh, Lord, don't just wash my feet then. Wash my head as well. Come on, Jesus. You know you want to wash this hair. You've been talking about how nappy and stinky it was for three days. He said, no, 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 you don't understand. It's not, it's not about that, Peter. That's not the purpose of what I'm trying to do. It's not some spiritual cleansing that, that if I wash your whole body that somehow you're, you're, you're so much better than everyone else. No, 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 Peter, you don't get it. I'm showing you what I came to this earth to do, how much I love you. Then here's what Jesus said that blows my mind. Jesus said, now, you've said that I'm your master. And that's right, I am. I'm, I'm your Lord, I'm your master. And a servant is not above his master. He said, so what you've seen me do, now you need to do to one another. What you've seen me do, now blessed are you if you go and take action. Don't let it just be words. Don't let it just be a good memory. Don't let it just be another object lesson. Don't let it just be another parable that you tell one day. But let it be something that you truly understand the greatness of my love because I was willing to humiliate myself in front of the whole world to bring cleansing, to bring righteousness back, to bring relationship with God back, to open up the way where we could be reconnected to God, not through our works, but through His love and through His grace and mercy. It's by grace that you were saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's a gift of God. And that's what He was saying. It's what Jesus was trying to show his disciples. In the book of John, fourth chapter, the 23rd and 24th verse, Jesus meets a woman at a well and he begins to converse with her. And he begins to explain to her that there's coming a time, and even now it's, it's, it's even happening, even now that time is here. He said where the Father is going to be looking for people who worship him in spirit and in truth said the Father's actually looking for those kind of worshipers. He's actually looking for people who will serve and live their lives in spirit and in truth. He's looking for people who will be connected to Him in spirit and connected to Him authentically, genuinely. Be connected to Him because they understand His love and His mercy and because of that they authentically give. They authentically worship because it's all about what's in the heart. That's what Jesus said. He said that a tree is known by its fruit what's really on the inside that's causing the stuff to happen on the outside. Let me tell you, folks, now more than ever, this world needs the body of Christ to be real, genuine, and authentic. Because too many times we've said a whole lot of nice things and said we're about a whole lot of nice things, but our actions and our deeds haven't backed it up. Why? Because we, just under, we, we, we have a misunderstanding of our identity and our love for God. If we grow in that love for God, then we can see through the eyes of God and love people like He loves people. Have compassion on people like Jesus had compassion on people. Have mercy on people like Jesus had mercy on people. 
Have patience. Oh, pastor's preaching now. thought he said he's almost done. And I'm not talking about tolerance either. Tolerance and patience are not the same thing. I can tolerate a whole lot. But that don't mean I'm being patient. What's the difference? My attitude. Is it an attitude of mercy? The attitude of grace and love? Or is it an attitude of, oh, great. I'm so patient. It's not tolerance. It's growing in love. It's what real patience is. See, we serve and give to help show others the love of God is real. That it's real. It's not just something we all gather weekly to sing songs and talk about God and read the Bible makes us feel better and then we go out and do our thing. No, it, we understand it's real and it's genuine. And because of that, we want to help others understand that it's real and it's genuine. Because we're real. Matter of fact, Jesus said that the world would know that we're his disciples because we had that love for one another. The real stuff. Anybody can say it. But it's in what we do. It's how we live our lives. You see, we serve and give to help show others that God's love is real, that the church is truly a reflection of Jesus Christ in the earth, that all are welcome, that all can, can encounter his love, that all can encounter his mercy and his forgiveness, that all can be cleansed. Because the church in Sheboygan Falls, Wisconsin, realized it's not about what I can get out of the deal. It's not about what is in it for me. But because we recognize that when we love God, we love people and serve the world, that lives are changed. That God's kingdom is advanced out of our love for Him, that lives are changed. That marriages are restored. That relationships are restored. That people can be financially turned around and walk in peace. That people can understand forgiveness and understand how to truly walk in mercy towards others. That people can find compassion on others instead of judgment. That God can begin to mend broken hearts, give joy to the depressed, give freedom to those that are in bondage. That's why we do what we do. We need to understand that, that basic clarity of why we do what we do. It's not what it, what's in it for me. So church, let's love God and love others. Let's give and serve beyond what's easy and comfortable because of our compassion, because of our love, because of our authenticity. Amen, somebody. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor Derek, I'm, I'm hearing you talk a lot about God's love and His mercy, and I realize that I need to receive that love and mercy and forgiveness. I need to accept Jesus Christ into my life. If you're here in this place and you're ready to say yes to Jesus and accept him into your life, get that new ID card. Get your life on the right track. Get your life connected with him. All you have to do is receive him by faith. Confess that he is Lord and believe in your heart. And I want to help lead you in a prayer, but I just want you to simply let me know that you're here. And you say, yeah, pastor, that's me. Let me know you're here just by lifting your hand and putting it back down. Anybody in this place? I see that hand. I see that hand. Anybody else? Anybody else in this place? I see your hand. Anyone else? Thank you, God. Church, would you say this prayer with me this morning? Say, Jesus, I trust you. I want you to be the Lord of my life, the leader of my life. I trust that what you did on the cross was good enough to forgive me, to save me, and to make me right with God. Not anything I've done, but what you did. Thank you for dying on the cross. Thank you for giving your life. I welcome you into my heart this day. And I'm going to turn away from who I used to be and embrace my new life in Christ. Jesus' name. Amen. Maybe you're here in this place. You said that for the first time.